Welcome to the Creative Industry Insight Podcast, a podcast that looks at various roles in the creative world. I'm your host, Bobby. Today's guest, production designer Eric Schoonover, joins us to talk about their work on Barry. Please be warned, there are heavy spoilers in this episode. So sit back and relax as we jump into the conversation with Eric. Hi, Eric. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to have you on to talk about Barry, which is in its fourth and final season, which is a sort of show that has just gotten better and better with each season. I don't know if you agree with me on that, but it's just one of those that's just kind of blown away by the story and the sort of um, uh, standalone episodes as well, where there are some standout scenes and episodes in each series where you just think, I can't believe that this is happening in a sort of 30 minute comedy episode and like, I'm really excited to see where it's going and what where it's gonna sort of end up yeah I would totally agree the show has definitely evolved in in a lot of different ways I think in all facets in all crafts of the show we've all we've all evolved so much I just told Bill one of the last days on set that caught him in the stairwell I was like you know we've just just not to criticize what we did in season one but we've all evolved so much him as a director and writer and probably actor too, but I was talking more about the behind the scenes and that we've all just really developed our craft so much. And it's just miraculous to see the differences in, in the way we do things and, and the the end result being, you know, what you see on TV is just really remarkable. And I'm so proud of having had been a part of that show. It was just, I'll probably say it a bunch of times, but uh, really great experience in, in so many ways. Well, I think it's, you're always going to be proud of something when it's, I don't know, there's so much that goes into it because it's funny how, as you said, the show's evolved from that first series of just sort of going from the having Barry go to a acting class and having it quite contained to now seeing these big car, uh, motorbike chases on the freeway. It's kind of just like you wouldn't have expected the show to sort of go that way, but it's just it feels organic and natural that it has. Yeah, I don't really know if he had a master plan when he got started. I don't think so. You know, maybe he had a rough idea of kind of what was happening. But yeah, just the tone and the style has, has changed so much. I don't know that you could really plan for that. I guess you could. But I just know him being a relatively new director, uh, I you could just really see him coming into his craft and, you know, me into mine too. And uh, yeah, we all just got better and, and, and tighter. And um, yeah, it was really special. Well, because you've been on the show since pretty much day one, because you first you started out as an art director uh, for season one and two, and then in season three, the big promotion to production designer. So just so we go back from the start, how did that job come about? And then how did you, how, what was the step up like to production designer from art director? Well... Yeah, when I even first getting on the show as the art director was a huge step up for me coming from a mostly commercial background. You know, I got my start as a basically an art assistant in music videos and commercials and things like that. So it was a completely different world from jumping into television. So 
the production designer I used to work for, Tyler Robinson, he said, hey, I just had a meeting with HBO and and Bill Hader. And we were on another show called Baskets, uh, a Zach Galifianakis thing. And he said, you want to you want to come along for the ride? And I was like, oh, my God. We were both, I would say, definitely in over our heads walking into season one because we had never really been involved with anything that had like sound stage, like stage space or the amount of builds we were doing, which wasn't that huge. Looking back, it wasn't that huge for the first season or two, but it, anything we were building was crazy. And it was like all, one of the first tasks was recreating a theater, changing it up a bit, but they had shot the pilot, which we weren't involved with, but recreating a theater that was in uh, Los Feliz in LA designing and building that on one of the stages at Sony. And all of a sudden we were there pulling in through the gates at Sony. And it was just like, it, it, it wasn't scary. I knew I could do it, but it wasn't, I just didn't really know all the steps that went into doing something like that. As far as, you know, the task, I didn't even really know the task of an art director at that point. So it was a lot of like trial and error. Just if there was a fire burning, I would just do my best to put it out and move on to the next thing. But I, I felt like I, um, I did, I did a good job. I don't know if traditional art director, I, I, I was a little bit different than that, but I felt like I was doing a good job and I wasn't maliciously trying to steal the job of production designer, but I was interested in becoming a production designer. And it's something I had done before on commercials and other things like that. I I'd worked my way up. So it wasn't a brand new concept to me. The execution was, would be totally new, but I knew I was capable and had the toolbox to, to put my plans into action. And I knew I, was good at communicating and at learning. I know I was, you know, I was like a sponge. So when I, I don't, I think it was the production designer finally just told me that he, he didn't want to work in LA anymore. He, like me, he lives up in Portland, Oregon. You know, that's where he calls home. So I think that was part of it. You know, he didn't want to, he didn't want to work in LA at that time. So I just told Alec and the other co-creator, or sorry, Bill and the other co-creator, Alec Berg, as we were wrapping up season two, I just said, Hey guys, I would really like to be considered for the job of production designer for season three. And they were both just like, Oh yeah, totally, man. Uh, and I was just like, okay, well, and a couple of bystanders were like wide eyed, like, Holy shit. Did you really just do that? And I was like, Oh, I had to do it. I didn't want to walk away from the project. And I sure as hell didn't want to art direct for another designer. I felt like I had learned enough about the show, the people involved in the job that I could pull it off. I know I needed a good support team, but I knew I could do it. So anyway, the season got closer and closer and I was just kind of, you know, sitting by the phone. It's like, what the hell is happening? Am I going to get this or what? And Aida Rogers, the producer, and I would talk and she would say, oh, just keep doing what you're doing. I was production designing a couple little small projects here and there. And she's like, just keep doing that. We'll see what we can do. And and I talked to Alec Berg's assistant one day and he was like, yeah, uh, you know, Alec approved, you know, gave you the nod of approval. And I was like, oh, shit. Well, what about Hater? I haven't heard from him. And, you know, we're not on a necessarily like a column on the phone randomly basis. So I was like, well, how do I find out about what Hater's thinking? And I was at some crazy party in L.A. Uh, before the Emmys one year and not to just name drop and shit like that, but it was exciting for me because it was like all the Saturday Night Live people, all these NBC people, Larry David, Ted Danson. And so I was just like, I was just, uh, I don't know. A friend of mine got me into the party. I wasn't even invited, but I was just like, it was already awesome. And then I heard that uh, Fred Armisen was there and um, someone I had worked with a, a, a lot of years ago uh, on a show called Portlandia. And 
in my mind, I was like, well, what, what did he think of me on Portlandia? Did he think I had what it took to design a show, any show, let alone this show for HBO? So in my mind, weeks before that, I was like, I don't know, crazy enough to think that Fred Armisen and Bill Hader were going to be chatting about me. So I was just like, what the fuck is, is Armisen going to say? You know, is he going to, is he going to get me the job or not? I don't, for whatever reason, I really thought he, they were going to chat about me and he had some sway. So I see Fred, I go up, hug him, said, Hey, how you doing? And I said, he said, Hey, I was talking to Bill Hader about you yesterday. And I was like, Oh my God. And I was like, well, what, what did he say? And he was like, Oh yeah. He's, you know, he basically just said I was in there for season three and I just left the party just on top of the world. Like, well, I don't know, like it's such a great day in, in my memory. Um, but yeah, then it was just getting to work on figuring out who to hire to back me up. And I knew I needed a strong art director, great set decorator, which I used the same one, uh, Rachel Ferrara from season two for season three. So that was definitely helpful to have consistency, consistency in that. But I knew I needed to replace myself as art director. So this guy, Andrew Leach, who is a production designer now, stepped in and just hit it out of the park and had my back and we made a great team. And that was kind of how it came to be. Uh, there seems to be a lot to um, to take in from there because we'll go back to when you started as the art director. That must have been such a big learning curve going from doing a lot of set building work and understanding what needs to go in uh, to that. Because I think some people don't realize like how much time and work and actually designing and making something look good on the stage takes a lot of time. And then also understanding the the sort of size of what something needs to look so if you were in your normal room to you that looks normal but if you go on the set that could be like three times the size just because of the layout really and then but on top of that I guess when you're sort of thrown in the deep end it's like sink or swim moment I guess and if you sort of just say basically you take it on and just see what happens really but what I do like as well is like that story of how you got the production designer job, having that sort of thought in your mind, like, oh my gosh, what if they talk to me? What are they going to say? You know, do I need to sl- slip Frank a 20 just to see if he can uh, put in a good word for me? Yeah. Um, but then but then I think there's also hearing how people, probably how highly talk, people talked about you in these conversations is also a testament to how you work and how you're know the work that you've done and sort of hours and time and hard yards that you put in yeah and I think that's something that made my transition better or it made me kind of setting myself up for success you know not that I'm the most successful by any means but success with that show is that I didn't give anyone any attitude and I didn't uh you know I I listened to people that knew what they were talking about even if they were down you know down the food chain or whatever you want to say um you know, if they had a lower ranking position and they were a carpenter on, you know, a a set builder, I would, I would listen to them and learn from them just as I would learn from talking to Bill or a producer. And I just had a a great respect for everyone that went into building all these things and doing all these tasks. I didn't necessarily know who did what, or, and I didn't really know what questions I would need to answer. Like I wouldn't know like what I was really responsible for. But I just, yeah, I just let it flow and uh, took it as it came and did research where I needed to and had the right conversations. But just keeping a great rapport with everyone in all different departments really helped me out a lot because 
it, it wasn't like, oh, I need to make sure I'm nice to everyone so we can make things happen. But every, you know, people having respect for you really helps get things done. So that was important to me. And it just kind of worked out and, you know, made a bunch of friends along the way. So, yeah, I feel really lucky. But um, just having a respect for people is a super important thing in any, anything I'm doing in life. But, um, you know, I take that take that to work with me as well. Yeah, 100%. I think you could always, there's never, you know, there's an old saying, it's like you always learn something new every day. And I think if you're on a set with some people who have been doing it for like decades, once you start listening to all people are fountains of knowledge or experts in what they're doing. So then you can, there's a lot that could be taken in from that, especially if there's something you don't know. Better to be a fool once than a fool all the time. For sure. Absolutely. Not being afraid to ask those questions, like like something that seems so simple now, having being nervous about asking a question because you're putting yourself out there. And like, I guess there was a slight fear of like people wondering how the hell I got the job or or whatever the case may be. But putting that fear aside and just, yeah, asking those questions, listening to the people that are chatting with you and uh, and being grateful for, for the knowledge that you're receiving from them is a really beautiful thing. And it's, you know, obviously it helps with the evolution of filmmaking and yeah, just helps helps the world go around in a more peaceful way. And going to Barry and your work on it, when you were stepping up, did you feel that there was not necessarily added pressure, but in terms of because your whole job has uh, changed? And also, I feel like that's when the pivot happened as well in terms of story and how 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 much bigger the show got. Did you feel like your work had changed a bit and? Did you feel like that it was more like getting back into the swing of things after uh, from from stepping up? Well, I felt like there was definitely added pressure that, you know, a more established production designer might not have felt because I know people were looking at me like this guy might not know what he's doing. <laughs> and I know, I mean, I know that Bill was definitely he knew he knew who I was and he would, you know, he would tell people, oh, this is Eric, you know, we promoted him to production designer. So I knew that wasn't far from the front of his mind. It wasn't like, but we just kept nailing it, kept pulling stuff off time and time again. And so I know he gained the confidence in me quickly. And I, I know it was probably Aida Rogers that did convince him to hire me for whatever reason. Uh, she believed in me too, but yeah, it was a bit of, yeah, a bit of pressure, but I, I I stayed the same. I, you know, I felt like I still was me and I, you know, rolled into these situations with a similar attitude that I had as art director. My job changed and people, a lot more people were looking to me for answers than they were with me as art director. But it was like, it was a natural progression, I think. And I, I think not all of us can do it and or not all people even want to do it. You know, there are plenty of art directors that are content with being an art director. But for me, I knew that I wanted to progress into production designing. So... I felt like I had the skill set and had most of the knowledge. It was a matter of kind of letting letting, letting a bit more uh, creative juices flow through me instead of, as an art director, it was a lot more of facilitating things happening based on what the production designer had dreamt up. So I knew, so I knew what that part took. So I knew that probably in the back of my mind too, when I would come up with an idea or just a regular overall design, it I knew how it was more or less going to be executed and I knew what needed to happen to make that. And I think that's a that's a good quality to have for a designer to have a little bit sense of reality. You know, it's great to come up with concepts and things like that, but it's also good to be aware of your timeline 
the strain you're putting on your crew, both set deck and construction and whoever else you have involved. So yeah, it was definitely a, a juggling act and, and something I I felt like I've gotten a lot better at as far as um, that goes, just knowing knowing what's important and when to when to push harder and when to accept what you're seeing as far as like a set finished set goes. Because sometimes you just need to get something in front of the camera and other times you do have time to really finesse things. So it's kind of just picking and choosing those battles uh, as far as delivering sets. So yeah. that's something that was a little bit new to me, but it's it's been working. Once you have those sort of different parameters to work with and going from there, it will become, it, as you said, it becomes new, but you sort of just take it along and sort of take the baton and go with it. Jumping into the fourth series of Barry, there seems to be the scale of the show seems a lot bigger than it has been previously. With the show sort of feeling like it was more set in bars and little theatres, and now we've kind of gone into prisons, silos, a house in the middle of nowhere. The it seems like the themes in Barry with locations and spaces is that is the use of space in them. With the show, it feels like the bigger certain things get, the bigger the space becomes on screen. So, for example, like the Chechens, when you're first introduced to them, they're in a house, they have a garage. Once their operation grows, it becomes a warehouse, it becomes bigger. It's the same with, I guess, with Barry, is that when you're with him and acting class, the class, the theatre is quite small. And then once their ideas get bigger, they're sort of spaces get bigger so the apartment becomes big for the different when the actors are staying together in terms of having like a whole area where they do recordings and whatnot and then also the idea of like the prison where you know you, you not necessarily have ultimate space but you're you're caged in an area but you do have those bigger spaces like the uh, communal space how do the themes of space play in your design and how does it, is it ever sort of alluded to on the script? No, it isn't. I mean, I never, that's <laughs> funny that I hadn't thought about it much, but it's as far as from a building standpoint, I was, I kept like having to ask the AD or the producer, I was like, are we just building like so much more these years? It seems like so crazy to me. But like I said, I don't know if it's because I was designer or because we actually were, but no, we actually were just building so much more. And as far as spatially speaking, you know, I never read that in any script and I, I can't help but think it would might've just been me getting more and more comfortable with the builds and wanting to just build bigger and bigger stuff. And maybe our budgets were getting bigger too. So we could afford to go bigger and bigger, but it, it was always a concern with me, the producer, the DP to give everybody enough room. And so that might be, are the sets getting bigger? I don't know that it was anything directly mentioned, but it's very interesting that you say that because uh, yeah, it does make sense. And it, I don't, that would be amazing if that was a note from Bill from years ago, like, Oh, we keep getting bigger and bigger every, every time. But um, no, I think that's just a thing. And that's, that's awesome of you to notice that, but um, maybe just like a happy accident or me just getting greedy with the builds. Well, maybe I've read it all too much into it. Cause I was kind of, having that question play on my mind because there are those scenes where you're kind of looking at how the space is being used. I know I was reading an interview about the prison and how you, you're building that 
which I kind of have some follow-up questions on on that. But the the prison itself, because I can imagine designing and looking for prisons quite difficult, especially if you want to have one that looks in a specific way. I remember when we worked on a show, we, had, we were using a prison and the whole idea of like having a designer work on that and then think how it should look. But it's not just the look of the prison, it's like the camera movement and how the scene's going to be blocked. How many sort of times did you go through designing the prison with these sort of things in mind? And did it change a lot throughout the whole process or was it always going to be a set sort of look? Well, yeah, the prison, it wasn't an entire build, but the funny thing is, is I started designing something kind of based off of some some prisons in California and do, doing just a bunch of research on how they look and how they function and what happens when you go in, just all kinds of research about it, which was kind of crazy, but uh, gave me some crazy dreams at night. But we sort of found a prison that we liked and the prison was kind of crazy enough to let us go there, which we added some walls here and there. And I mean, it was so intense when we would go, when we went to scout that, that we didn't talk a lot about what the overall plan was because we were, I can't help but think all of us were a bit in fear of our lives going into that kind of environment because it's just, you're relatively safe, but you're talking to these guards and like, well, those are the guys that are going to save my life. If something goes down, I don't like, it was just a crazy, I did all the research, but I'd never been there. So going in and hearing that gate clank behind you and knowing that you're just in there and whatever's bound to happen, you know, we weren't like walking around with like max security inmates, right? Well, kind of, but (laughs) uh, I never really felt we were actually in harm's way, but just in the back of your mind, you, you know, it's a little bit unnerving. But as far as the camera work and the shots in those environments, it's a lot of, I mean, not to discredit Carl Hersey, the DP, but Bill just has such an idea of what he wants to do. And that might even change on his car ride to the location or the set. But, you know, we just always try to give him enough space, knowing that he could just pull, pull something out of thin air and we have to make, you know, make sure it's it's doable for him. So, you know, it would, the grips and us and camera department everyone was kind of on their toes uh, and loving and supporting everything we did it was just like a big family so no one would ever care if all of a sudden it's like no we talked about this specifically and all of a sudden we're on a dolly once we get there we're like well okay well what do we need to do to you know make this thing picture ready and usually it are you know it always was but you know shaking things up a bit on the day was always enjoyable and I would try to be there as much as I could to open up each set just because I had the most knowledge on the subject and had the dialogue with Bill and Carl and Gavin, the AD, who I love so much. But no, just a just a, a crazy process that it was, like I said, it was beautiful to see the evolution of that process from back in season one to, you know, the final days of season four and shooting in that prison and, and all the all the places we went and the growing of our sets and it, it yeah it just got really really great going when you visit prisons and you hear that clink yeah it's, it is the sort of most creepiest thing and scariest thing nothing because you know i guess because we've seen so many shows with prisons and the sort of various characters that might be there because when i filmed in a prison it was abandoned but even though it's abandoned it still looms over you what is there 
and sometimes if you hear guards tell you stories, I don't know if it's just a case of them messing with you um, to scare you, but then some of the things they say, you're like, well, this is not, this is not good. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I was concerned about going there for sure. And, but too many times I'll, I'll, I'll watch something and it's quite obvious that, yeah, it's either an abandoned prison that doesn't have modern technology in it, or it's a build and it doesn't look close because they get, they get to be so much money unless it's a complete prison show then that has the budget for that building something like something like that is just astronomical because the space is so vast and you could get clever and we were already thinking about clever ways to make cells in the background look real and you know just having dummy doors on some some functioning but you when you're talking about multiple levels like that it just gets super complicated and i was excited to to try to go for that but they weren't about race to spend that amount of money. So when this uh, location came up, I couldn't really believe it was like we were actually going to be allowed to go there. And I still can't believe that they let us do it. Hopefully they're okay with it. But without that location, it would have been really tricky. And yeah, maybe they would have found the money, but it was going to be a lot just because, yeah, it's just so big. And and it's hard to know what VFX could have helped out, helped out with them, make it look bigger. But we didn't really have the stage space when it came down to it based on all the other stuff that came up in season four. We were pretty jam-packed with two sound stages at, on the Sony lot. So we didn't really have the space to build it. I was di- designing one with stage 27 in mind, which is a huge stage. But I was a bit relieved for the sake of our construction department because that would have been a lot to to try to execute building that that big of a set but I was excited by the prospect of it and yeah, a bit relieved when we found that location. And then we got to build some fun stuff, some cells and some halls and a few, you know, a bunch of the rooms that we're in. Basically, anytime we're in a room in that prison, we, you know, it's something we built on stage, which is great. It was really fun to pull elements from the actual place we were going, embellish them, change them up according to what I was into or what I thought you know, uh, might suit our shooting crew, um, as far as the size and and things like that. But, um, yeah, th- those prison sets really add up at the cost. I just remember having so many conversations, even with the rooms we were building, like wanting just to go way bigger and give even more layers, but there's a certain cap where they're like, no, we, we're not going to spend that amount of money. We're in there for two scenes, but I'm like, well, can't we just do one more one more window and one more hallway in the background. I'm like, no, we're gonna. It's just gonna be a solid wall. So you know those conversations, which were never heated by any means, and it was, yeah, more like me just wanting to add as much as I could to that project, really giving that thing my all, and just being super focused on giving the best sets we could afford and had time to build, and just to what what would make a great show look as good as it could. When you're talking about the build on the stages and the the difference in in going being like location and stage work, just how much more work it would be to build. And um, but something that comes into mind with the prison is the like transition a bit in one of the episodes. I think it's episode two or three where Barry is in the prison and then it transitions into the sort of uh, desert plains, should I say, um, which is quite a neat trick, which I'm curious to know, did you guys, was that a sort of a, more of a match cut for the camera department for when it sort of transitions there? Or did you have the uh, set built for then the camera to move onto the desert area? We took the cell to the 
to the Midwestern Plains of the United States. So it was a cell that we had, let's see, we had a couple of different cells, but yeah, we would basically just take that out there and, you know, have a clear on the, on the tech scout, just get a clear understanding from Bill, what he was hoping to achieve as far as what the move was going to be and what we were actually going to see inside the cell. Because yeah, when he first, or when we first read, or he first explained what he wanted to do with those shots, it was a little bit hard to know, you know, we were all thinking, probably all thinking about ourselves, you know, the DP thinking about how he's, what he's going to do and me thinking about, well, what, what do you actually need out there from us and all those things. But we would clarify all those things on the tech scout. And, you know, we were out, we were out on that location days before setting up those sets with enough time to, you know, kind of tweak anything. But uh, yeah, I thought those, those shots ended up really nice. And I don't know if they were confusing to, to others or not, but um, yeah, they, they were really beautiful kind of dream sequences that, that he thought of it really great. Yeah. I think, I think it was slightly jarring seeing it, but then also it was sort of just like, Oh, what's happening here? Do we get to dive into somebody's psyche or kind of just trying to see like, well, where is this going? And then as the season sort of progresses, you understand what you're seeing. I think an, another big part of season four is, it was quite a shocking scene as well as like the sand pit scene in the silo. I think it's, it feels like something straight out of a horror film with what happens. And I think as an audience member, well, maybe myself, you knew something sinister was going to happen or something was going to happen that somebody would slip. And obviously as the scene progresses, there is something that, you know, the sand opens up on the characters and basically takes out the whole crew of a sort of crime utopia henchmen. How did you go about designing the silo and what went into it to make it A, safe for people to go in and then B, for it to work to pull off the scene? Yeah, that was quite an undertaking. We probably had a thousand meetings about that. So yeah, it started off and and Bill all all the while was saying, if it's not safe, I don't want to do it. If it's not safe, I don't want to do it. So first thing was first, nothing to do with the silo or the build is how do we make that gag work? Like what type of uh, mechanics are involved and, and how do we do that? So it was, you know, the stunt coordinator, Wade, and it was Ryan Riley, the special effects coordinator, myself, the producers, first AD kind of without Bill trying to get a grasp of how or if we could even pull this thing off. So kicking around a bunch of ideas, all of us sketching out stuff on the, you know, me getting slightly frustrated, like, can you just let me figure this out? But, you know, I needed the help. It was it was crazy, uh, a crazy uh, engineering feat. So all of a sudden we were talking to HBO Safety about what we wanted to do. And they're like, well, yeah, you know, it's quite, sand is quite combustible. I, you know, I think it's the celiac or something in the sand, but they were like, so we do run the risk of like basically <laughs> this thing blowing up. And we were just like, what did they just say? So we kind of reported back to Bill and then he was like, no, 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 no. Okay. We're going to, we're changing the script. We're going to do this other thing, this other gag. And so we're hearing him out on this. He's trying his best to explain himself. And we were just like, oh man, we don't know about this other thing either, which wouldn't have been nearly as dramatic as this. And then I don't know what led to it, but he was like, okay, sand silo is back. We're doing the sand silo. Let's figure this thing out. So, you know, a lot of sketches, some scale model tests, 
and just kind of basically the green light to the um, special effects department to start putting this thing together, which involved hydraulics and a lot of steel, all just a huge custom build. And yeah, and like I was saying, all of us, you know, us in my department doing like little scale model tests of if the physics behind this idea would actually work and if it would, how it would look and then passing that info on to VFX, seeing if they needed to do much work. I don't think they actually needed to end up, you know, doing that much and that we could always fall back on, on Laura Hill, uh, the um, VFX supervisor who was just so awesome to be around, but, uh, and so good at her job, but knowing we could fall back on them, we kind of figured like, Oh, worst case, We'll shoot it. If it looks like shit, she'll fix it. We were always like, where's Laura? She'll fix anything. But it just started working. So I remember we were on a director scout kind of out in the deep valley doing something. And we're like, oh, we're going to roll over and see, you know, check in on Ryan and, and the effects team. And we just couldn't fucking, you know, we all got on this platform and it just worked. The idea worked. It was with a few less people, but we got we got so excited. And then then it came came to be my turn a little bit more as far as you know figuring out the actual look of this silo, the overall size, and how it was going to look. I grew up in the Midwest, and so I I know what a lot of you know I know what silos look like, and I know you know the function and the, the mechanics behind those things. But this was kind of like a hybrid of sorts, so it wasn't exactly like your typical sand silo. And, you know, this sand traffic, this sand trafficking does exist and it is a real thing. So I learned a bunch of research on, how, you know, how that all comes about and what happens with that. You know, it just came down to, yeah, what, what the surface needed to be. So we decided on, you know, like a classic silo of this corrugated 10 and this 50 foot, 50 foot diameter for the size of the silo. So the thing was massive and I feel like it photographed large, but it was way bigger than it actually ended up looking on in the final cut, but just enormous. And so much time went into it and so many different departments had their hands on it, which obviously adds so much more time and money. Um, you know, the thing was just enormous and I, I was just so proud to have like been a part of it and for it to actually have worked and just, just to see the gag happening when we were filming, it was just, it was insane because yeah, it was, it was controlled and I think it was pretty safe, I would say, but it took real legit stuntmen to be able to go through this thing because they were basically, it was like, if you jumped into water, you were like, you were just engulfed in this material. And I think you just had to hold your breath at the exact right time and get out of the way and free yourself. And it was being down below this thing and, and watching these guys come out was just, it was insane. I just think like the whole scene itself, even when you're talking about sand, how something saying it's like combustible because probably many people didn't know that. And once you do like the light setup, it probably was like, well, if we use these certain lights, then, you know, going to put everything up in flames. But on, on top of that, the, what do you think of like a silo? It's quite a, like they're very specific looking things, aren't they? in terms of how they look and how they design and how they function. I think when you're talking about growing up in the Midwest and using those silos as a sort of starting point, did you ever have to do like that sort of weird research of how a silo would have developed over the years from using certain materials or a certain design? 
that it's going to sort of that sort of evolution as we say of a silo and how you would incorporate that in your design no not exactly um i kind of just based it off of the the sure size that bill was hoping for and just kind of pointed my finger to a style of silo that is that large so it's pretty unique to what the function is of something that big they're scary i've you know i've been in like much smaller ones but it's it's really crazy. It's not uncommon for like Midwestern kids to like play around in those things, but it is really dangerous to even do that. No, not so much the evolution of, of the silo, but more just like what would make sense, what would be visually stimulating and and what Bill had in his mind, you know, kind of balancing all that stuff together. And yeah, just what I what I kind of thought would look the best on camera as far as, you know, the ceiling had certain details that weren't necessarily authentic to that type of silo, but just working with the DP and myself and the art director on what we could achieve in the timeline, what we could afford and what would look the best. And, and VFX did help a little bit with the extension on the, on the lid because we could only build so much and we just needed a little bit of love extending that. But uh, I was happy that we at least got to build as much as we did. And we didn't build, we didn't need to build a 360 degree silo, but we built probably two thirds of it. And we had a couple of wild walls, which are huge pieces that um, we moved around for a few shots just to kind of like change where the door was, or remove the door and add a solid wall, depending on what, you know, what our angles were. And just a few of the little gags in there that helped us kind of execute how Cristobal was submerged, which I think worked out really well. And then him going under and that, that, that shot of the camera dipping in underneath the the sand and then pulling back up was pretty fun i think as well that like just that haunting image of like the the sand the camera goes goes down into the sand and then you kind of everything goes dark and muffled and oh so claustrophobic that was really beautiful really happy with way that that little sequence turned out let alone like you know the biggest feat was obviously the the body's dumping through the middle of it but then when it came down to some other more technical stuff of of how we keep michael irby safe you know cristobal how we keep him safe and comfortable when he's kind of being submerged too and coupling that with that with that crane shot of the camera dipping into the sand working with the grip department on how we execute that and then just even reloading this whole thing to do another take was such a feat in itself but every you know there were so many different departments just cranking away on this and and making it all happen was really, really a great like display of what we can accomplish as a team when all when everyone comes together. And everyone was just so excited by the the sheer magnitude of this set that people were down to help. You know, it wasn't just like, oh, and just another shitty thing that we have to deal with. It was like, no, this is like they knew it was big. Everyone knew it was big because it was <laughs> because it was big. But no, I just would go up so often in the catwalk above this above that stage, which is like 80 feet, I think, and take photos, progress photos. So it's really, really fun to uh to look back at those photos and yeah, just like, you know, my family asking, how did you do how did you do this or how do you do that? It's just awesome, awesome moment. I think having that when your family starts talking to you about like, how do you do this? How do you do that? It's like, it's just the magic of filmmaking. You can't give away our, <laughs> our secrets. But there's also, there's also I want to talk about is the designing of like film sets. 
and the idea of your not your own show, but it's like it feels slightly meta that you're in LA and there's so much that goes on, but then you have to design a film set that's going to look normal to what you would design anywhere else, if that makes sense. Sorry, are you talking about how we do a, sh- um, a show within the show or are you? Yes, just... yes. Sorry. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's just like the, so you'd have, so in season four with the superhero. Um, Mega girl. Yeah. Yeah. When I see something like that, it's just sort of funny to see because it's it feels so, so authentic in terms of the trailers, the green screen or blue screen yeah. in this case, the sort of going onto a big sound stage and having people around. Do you sort of just walk around the Sony lot to get inspiration or do you just sort of play out of like what's just needed and sort of make note of what sort of extra bits that you'll need in those scenes? You know, it wouldn't be hard to just make the soundstage look. I mean, it basically we we've you know we could have just walked in and shot a lot of that, depending on what what the setup was. But um, no, it was a lot of fun. You know, in season three we did uh, Laws of Humanity, and so it was fun building these little sets. Oh yeah, and season three was also uh, Joplin, the TV series that Sally was on. So yeah, season three it seemed like it had even more. It was it was bananas, but. Uh, no, it was fun. We, we, you know, we definitely embraced where we were. So we at least had a, a good base coat of, of that backstage look, but just adding certain pieces to heighten that and, you know, just to embellish it a little bit more. Lighting was a key factor as far as having the right work lights. You know, it's quite dark once we're up and running in, in those type of environments, unless the house lights are on, which they're mostly like fluorescent lights. So they, they don't create the best light. So it was definitely taking a lot of time to light it correctly. Yeah, Mega Girls was super fun because it was just, just like yeah, a Marvel movie, just a wacky thing that that the writing crew had thought of. And then it's just funny when you get involved and in, yeah, ordering a bunch of huge blue screen rags through the grip department of like, all of a sudden I'm telling the grips what to order for, basically to make my set happen, you know. And then it was important to add all these uh, tracking marks with on the blue rags, these red X's, which ended up looking great. So it was, these were all in renderings I would do through SketchUp, which is usually how I'd work. So depending on what we were seeing, as far as a backstage set, I would always still design it and draw it up as if it were a regular set. Even if some of these sets were existed or knowing that we could use the back of flats to block something, block a key plot point from a future episode or sets. We just didn't really want the, um, the viewers to see just yet. So they were all designed in the same way I would design any other set. And they were all presented to bill. Usually they're in the conference room or in the van when we're out scouting, but more times than not, I would get a chance to just present to him, you know, a few designs at a time in the conference room, kind of just going over references of what I think it should look like and what I've designed it to look like, you know, him just kind of getting it. He, that would help give him a sense too, of what his shots wanted to be uh, when it came time. So yeah, it was kind of funny designing a soundstage set to be a soundstage set. And yeah, it just involved, you know, moving a bunch of our clutter out of the way or, uh, that Mega Girl set was a really fun one. I used a bunch of foam to create part of that set, which I didn't feel great about doing. I hadn't really worked with foam too much, but it just created this these great rocks that I felt like we needed for this uh, kind of Amazon vibe we were kind of going for. And uh, that was definitely a fun one. And thinking about it, Wade Allen, the stunt coordinator, had talked about it recently that uh, that 
was that set was up at the same time we were shooting out the silo. So you walk into that stage and it was just like these two monstrous sets when yes, in the past, like you're saying, our sets had been quite small and kind of basic. Then all of a sudden you walk in and there's this enormous sets that were just you know larger than life was was really fun for me to get involved in and kind of just like I don't know just go for it and I guess I just got you know over the years I've been with the show like six years with the with COVID shutdown and some other um you know some other time they took off to to do some more writing you know after you know we were kind of up and running here or there and they're like oh we actually want to want to pause for a bit and write so yeah, for six years, it was always in the back of my mind that I was going to be working on that show, which was a really great feeling to have. And I already miss it. <laughs> but um, I'm excited about the future. But, um, you know, that was just one of those unicorns that I don't know how often they come around where you have somebody that's enthusiastic as Bill, and it's as well received as that show is. And we just got to do a lot of fun stuff. And as much as I learned and as much fun as I had and yeah, walk, you know, me driving into those sound stages every day onto the Sony lot or season two, we shot at Paramount. It, I never, I never lost that rush of just like going into these places and just thinking about all the history and, and just how lucky I was to be there. And, and maybe it wasn't luck. You know, there, I put a lot of hard work into, into getting myself here, but there's obviously a, a, at least some element of luck because there are definitely more skilled people that, out there than me, but you know, it takes a lot of different skills to come together to do something like this. And I felt like I was a good mix and a great fit for that show. And I was just, yeah, like I said, lucky to be a part of it. Yeah. I think going from your answer that the telling people, telling the sort of like the group department of go for these blue screens, actually go for these ones when it's like, well, we work with these every day. It's like, but then we're recreating what people work with. It's quite funny to sort of, see and feel and it's the same with these um with the boulders and the looks of those how something like that uh working with like new materials feels a lot uh different to get that experience and to sort of understand how that will work and look on the screen but i think as well going around set to set is that would make me kind of fun chuckle a little bit that you're creating a show within a show and then making it look like it would be something set in this universe goes for my just to wrap the episode up what was your favorite set to design oh man it was probably the shitty little diner bathroom that we shot in for uh where sally's working uh when she's out in the middle of nowhere and in the midwest um she's on the run but it wasn't that big of a set or it probably wasn't that impressive but it was just fun to do research on shitty diner bathrooms and I knew what they looked like and I knew what I wanted to be, but I always tend to pull references just so I can kind of visualize and show, you know, the producers and, and Bill and the DP, like what, what I'm thinking. Um, but just tying those two things together, some details in the hallway leading us into that little bathroom, but it wasn't much of a set, but I just had a lot of fun doing it. And I always like, even before that, I had like, I usually take note of like, I don't know if like train spotting got me into it or something, but just like taking a note of how shitty bathrooms can be and then just uh, trying to add like a real, a real layer of grime, but yet keep it, you know, authentic and not take it too far over the top, but just making it feel real and, and having a great sense of accomplishment when the gaffer or the DP or whoever it is just talking about how great that, cause I felt great about it, but having these two other people I really admire saying how legit it looks felt really nice so yeah probably that little shitty bathroom funny how it's like something so simple 
yet so you know just a bathroom but so sort of visually interesting uh, that it can be you have i know that's i know i said that was my last question but there's just something i would like to just bring up now you've mentioned it is because of that time jump we see barry uh, married to sally and they have a kid and then they're sort of in this house in the middle of nowhere and um, i just want to ask a design standpoint of that sort of that house is that it's very sort of sterile and looks like it's been constructed in terms of like the look on the film that it's like very like a flat pack house and it looks a bit sort of no life to it and um, was that always the plan or it was that something that sort of read off the page um yeah that was sort of always the plan uh initially um i wanted to just build that based on a design but we ended up finding that trailer so we augmented it severely, but we had a good um, foundation to build upon. But yeah, the idea was just to keep it sterile, to put nothing else around it and just make you feel like you're you're really in the middle of nowhere, like beyond beyond reality. And we were I feel like we were kind of safely teetering upon that that state of whether or not, you know, because we had seen seen dream sequences out in the similar landscape, helping the viewer along and and hopefully they were wondering if we if this was even real or not but unfortunately yeah it was actually real and they were there but uh yeah just to keeping it keeping it stark and completely desolate and they were so alone and just kind of fucked um was kind of the idea it's quite a funny idea that we're well, not a funny idea but the idea that they've sort of thrown everything away to be yeah. in this sort of landscape and there's just so much that you can unpack in terms of the camera work and design work of just how dull their life is now and not even there's not even like an ounce of excitement anywhere it's really hitting sally i think barry's character is a little bit or he maybe he's fooling himself and he's you know he's found god and he's kind of seems content and sally obviously is far from content but as soon as there's a problem barry's ready to get out of there and go and go handle his business but uh we ended up building the interior on stage so the interior didn't exactly match the exterior although we had to finish out the interior on location as well looking at the front door because we do take a shot of barry we track with him going outside the house when someone after someone knocks on the door um which is a little bit of a dream sequence too and uh there's still a more you know we're only on what are we on episode five so there's still uh yeah there's still some other things going on there that will be really interesting for you to see i'm sure in uh, the next episode yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing that, and I'm glad you didn't spoil anything. I know this. Will <laughs> I probably said too much already. I, hopefully, I don't. Hopefully, Bill's not calling. Um, anyway, uh, well, thank you so much, Robert. It was a great time. No, thank you so much, and don't you worry. This episode will come out after the whole show airs, so yeah. no spoilers, no calls from Bill Hader, no calls from um, Alec Berg. So you'll be you'll be in the clear. Thank you for your time today, Eric. Really appreciate it. Barry is uh, streaming on HBO Max in America, um, Sky Atlantic in the UK. Go out and catch up before the season finale. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. You too. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast.